0: Blog Talk Radio,
1: The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts.
2: Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it feels like morning, doesn't it? Good afternoon, everyone. It is a nice warm Friday. The global warming is starting to take its toll on us, I guess. Um, th- today's guest is on the line. We have Mark Schaefer on the line. Mark is a globally recognized blogger, educator, business consultant, and author, Um one, uh, and, and you blog at Grow, one of the top marketing blogs in the world. Uh, Mark worked in global sales, PR, and marketing positions for nearly 30 years. Uh, uh, now you're telling people your age, Mark. Um, and <laughs> Don't <laughs> do that. i gotta, I got to change that line. Is that right? <laughs> and now provides consulting <laughs> services as executive director of Schaefer Marketing Solutions. Love to see that you got a marketing company named after yourself. Um, his his clients include startups and global brands such as Cisco, AT&T, Johnson & Johnson and the UK government. So welcome aboard Mark. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And now with 30 years uh how, how did you get Come on, come on. Now let's just let's move off that topic right now. <laughs> well <laughs> With such a long, long, <laughs> long distinguished, long distinguished <laughs> long career, sti- distinguished career, how did how did you get your start in marketing?
0: I got my start in marketing actually when I was in college. I I was studying uh, journalism, and um, about halfway through my junior year, I started taking some marketing classes and just loved it. And I decided this is really where I wanted to end up someday. Uh, So I started working in corporate America and really was inspired by, um, uh, there was a a marketing guy who was kind of my mentor. And um, he, uh, I was still in PR. I was in, I started in PR with corporate America and then moved into sales and uh, kind of got to know this guy. And The company I was working for was installing like this $50 million uh, plant to uh, start creating new products that this guy had had dreamed up and uh, was selling. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. I mean, this is the front lines of business. This is creating entirely new value and new products. And I, I, I just loved it. And I've been, I've been in marketing ever since, and I've loved every minute of it.
2: So uh, that's that's incredible. And and uh, what kind of companies did you work for? Did you work for you know agencies or large companies or?
0: My most of my career was spent in uh, fortune, working with and for Fortune 100 companies. I was in the metals business and the packaging industry. I got to work with many great companies like Coca-Cola and Nestle and Anheuser-Busch, and uh, got to learn a lot from from those companies. And I started my own company in 2008, and since then I've been I've always I've always worked with startups. I've volunteered my time for for many years,
3: mentoring
0: startups and young people in business. It's just a passion that I have to uh, I just believe that we need to do that. We need to give back. Um, that's really how we're going to turn this economy around and continue to grow, by encouraging these new ideas, these new businesses. That's where the growth, that's where the jobs is going to come from. And so I've spent a lot of my time working with new businesses, young young people and entrepreneurs starting this business. And then, of course, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I also have a lot of large uh, Customer, so uh, I, I kind of had done it all, and I'm lucky because fundamental marketing skills transfer very well, I think, um, from company to company. If you, I mean, if you really are, um, uh, if you really are steeped in in the fundamentals of of pricing and consumer behavior. The companies may change, the channels may change, but the fundamentals really stay the same. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been successful as a consultant and also as a blogger because I look at very practical, time-proven ways to apply some of these new ideas. Everybody gets all excited and all, with all the hype of social media, but you still have to look at the fundamentals and how you apply these new channels, these new ideas to move people to influence people to sell more stuff.
2: So we were, so we were just meeting with a company today uh an agency out of uh out of Louisville and uh great great guys and they were talking, you know, they're a traditional agency. They do branding, television and uh, and print. And uh, oh. and we were just talking to them today how, you know, my belief and I'd love to hear your your feedback on this. Isn't that those mediums are dead? It's just that they need to be leveraged differently and and in tune with what you're doing online. Um, and and what we see is a lot of the, you know, the digital media pundits, you know, pundits. pundits I can't say it. Pundits. Pundits. Hunters. Hunters. Is that what you're saying? Hunters. That's it. <laughs> a lot of you,
0: sometimes uh, it's
2: the same a lot of the so-called gurus have you know tried to put a nail in the coffin of these traditional media outlets yeah. my my thinking is it's it's that the media mix has obviously changed and and shrunk their market quite a bit and made things a little bit um less profitable for them but the fact is, is that we still need those markets as well and those mediums can still work uh to your advantage uh, especially um, if you're working in unison with digital strategies, would you agree?
0: Well, I mean, I mean, mass media is still extremely powerful. Uh, you know, I'm working with a company in New Jersey uh, that does infomercials on late night cable TV, and they're printing money in the basement. I mean, they're making so much money, it's ridiculous. They're, they're hugely successful. So there's a tremendous amount of power still in mass media. Now, it's changing, uh, and we have to, you know, acknowledge that. We can't put our heads in the sand. I mean, i thought some startling statistics about how, you know, advertising rates are declining uh, in newspapers. Uh, stunning. It's just gone off the cliff. So, I mean, but we we need... Newspapers you know we need that those those that coverage those that, you know the, the local uh, journalism and and investigative journalism, so we've got to find a way for that to survive but I agree I mean mass media is still very very uh powerful and very important part of the marketing mix
2: well i think I think you are uh, you know the value statement you know I worked in newspapers for over ten years and you know, some, somewhere along the line the value statement of a newspaper changed from, you know, being the, the people that brought us news to the people that brought us ads. And I think wow. once they once they change that value statement back and find their, their real worth with their audiences, um, I think newspapers will continue to, to do quite well. I just think that, you know, for too long um, you know, uh, articles were a you know, something to put in between ads.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you think, philosophically, um, you'd think that, um, that, that newspapers could make, uh, we're, we're getting way off topic here, but <laughs> <laughs> it is very interesting. I mean, it's very interesting because, I mean, I grew up as a journalist. So I'm passionate about this. I love this, and I love newspapers, but um, you think that the, the, the model of, of publishing a newspapers would fit perfectly in the social media model, because it's, it's content rich, it's local, it's social. People love the comments. I mean, the, co- the comments in the newspaper articles. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it, 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 it puts me to shame. You think about—I've got this blog I've been working on for a couple of years now. I've got a global audience, and and yet my local newspaper of a you know relatively you know moderate sized town in the United States, Knoxville, Tennessee—they'll get more comments on one article about the university football team than I'll get on my blog in a month. So there's there's vibrant conversation. There's rich professional content. It's relevant. It's timely. It's entertaining. You've got everything going for you uh, to make it work. And some and some newspapers are making it work. You know, I I went to uh, West Virginia University for my undergrad, and I wanted to connect to the local newspaper there because I wanted to see. Some coverage of the of the West Virginia University football team. We're we're better than to get this, and I'll be darned! I could not get on that newspaper unless I bought a subscription. <laughs> I thought, good for you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they got you.
0: <laughs> good for you. Yeah, of course. Why 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 wouldn't they charge? It takes money to produce this content, and you know what? I I I want that content, and so. Yeah. I'm gonna pay, and when the New York Times went to a paid model, I was the first one in line. I mean, heck, you know, you, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay them for their work.
2: It's, it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about it the other day. I was writing a, a post, and you know, a lot of people say, well, people, you know, people just aren't gonna pay for content. And I think back to when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, we had a black and white TV, and we had three channels, maybe some. VHF if you held the antenna and antenna antenna. Wow. Antenna, right. Um, but we didn't pay for that. We just paid for the TV, you know, and that was it. We didn't pay for radio. We didn't pay for any content in our house. It was all advertising based. And I, and I, and I just think that it's, it's really funny when you think about it now, I'm paying for content everywhere. I have internet access at work and at home on my phone, my kid's phone. I have, uh, You know, SMS. So I have texting charges, data, cable, cable. I have Netflix, Xbox 360, Hulu, Apple TV, Uh, Spotify, Spotify. Yeah, I have Mog. uh, Yeah, exactly. And and the fact is is that I'm spending more money than, you know, than, geez, probably more than I should be on content. So it's a myth that people won't pay for content. We're all paying for content, because if we, but we just have to find value in that content.
0: You know, it was uh, one of the interesting things that I explored in, in my book, this idea of content and scarcity and, and, and pay versus free. And one of the themes, the main themes in, this, in the new book that I wrote is how content is now a source of power. And I was thinking about scarcity, and I interviewed this, this guy, business, Christopher Penn. He's a educator and a con, and consultant in, in uh, New England. And, I mean, he's just a great intellect, and uh, he has a great uh, blog. He's written a few books, and, and I really admire him. But I was talking to him about this idea, and I said, you know, Christopher, um, how do you, um, you know, how do you, Really, create a model, uh, a business model based on content because there is no scarcity. Uh, Any time you try to charge somebody for content, someone's going to turn around and offer the same thing for free. I mean, it's disintermediated scarcity. He said, "Well, yes and no." He said, Con- "It's true that content on the web is like leaves falling from the tree. It's." It's endless. It's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. However, if you're sick and you need a certain type of leaf from a certain type of tree to, to, to figure out your problem and get well, you will pay almost anything for it. And so content from true experts is still rare and highly valued. And I thought that was a very interesting point.
2: That is, and I think you're absolutely right. And for people that don't know, uh, tell us about your new book.
0: Oh, the new book is called uh, Return on Influence. And uh, it explores the differences between influence and power in the offline world versus the online world. It it talks about the special role of content now. As a source of power, which never could have happened before in human history, to be used in a widespread way, and then it also the book also gets into companies like Clout, you know, where we're being assessed these Clout scores, people are assessing our influence and assigning us a number. Do these things mean anything? How is it working? Um, and then I, the, I think, really for me, I think for many marketers and business people, the highlight of the book would be case studies that I have, original, never-before-seen case studies that, that you know, we look under the covers of how companies of all sizes, agencies, PR firms, nonprofits, are starting to use these influence scores in their traditional marketing programs to have some pretty fantastic results.
2: And And do you think that... It's a combination where um, some companies are trying to build their own clout and own authority, but other companies are just finding people with authority and clout and then utilizing them as spokespeople. and How do you feel about that?
0: Well, I think, you know, first, uh, let's, let's back up a step because I, I think some of you listeners may not even know what clout is. When I, I, I teach at Rutgers University, uh, I teach graduate classes, and, you know, I'll have 20 to 30 people in a class, and when I say how many people have heard of clout with a K, clout, uh, maybe, you know, five will raise their hand. So it's still a relatively uh, obscure thing, but it's going mainstream very quickly. And uh, quickly, um, uh what this is about is... There are billions of pieces of content being created on the web every day, publicly available. Companies like Clout, other companies in this space are Cred, Peer Index. Uh, there's a new company I'm excited about called Opinions, A-P-P-I-A-N-O-U-S, you know, like Opin- Opinions with us, A-P-P in the front. And what they're doing is they're slicing and dicing and analyzing all this data to figure out three things. One, primarily, what are the topics you talk about? Number two, when you talk about it, does it move through the Internet? Does it just sit there on on your blog or does it move throughout your audience and beyond? And then finally, are people reacting to it? Are people tweeting, retweeting, opening links? Uh, commenting on your blog, blogging about your blog, uh, sharing your content. So you're creating buzz. You're creating a reaction. So it's really interesting that, yes, you can measure content moving through a system. And number two, you can can measure all these things. You can measure clicks on a link. You can measure retweets. So if, if a new source of power and influence is... Creating a reaction by getting content to move through the internet, then you can begin to measure influence. Not all influence, not the influence you may have at work, not the influence that you may have in your home, but one small sliver of it. Your ability to create or aggregate content and move it through an engaged network. And that is significant. Because never in history people in psychology and sociology and anthropology and political science and marketing have been able to observe and write and talk about influence, but they haven't been able to quantify it on a mass scale. And that is historically important for businesses and marketers to understand, and that's why I wrote the book.
2: Uh, And and I I, I would add to that that you know, I think businesses make the mistake of thinking, well, I can't compete. You know, I only have 5,000 followers on Twitter. Or I only have, you know, 200 followers on Twitter. And the fact is that, you know, the fact that your voice is being heard by 200, 5,000, or 50,000, um, it's still it's still that you've accumulated some influence within a sphere, you know, that, that has interest in you. You don't need a million uh, you know, God knows, I don't need a million customers. You know, uh, you know we we have a hard time keeping with that we have. You know, so my uh-huh. my influence doesn't have to spread very far. It just as you, I, I love the you know analogy that you said about the the tree, leaf from the tree. I just want the right people to hear my message, and I want to be able to influence them um, so that they can utilize my services.
3: And Mark, Go ahead. I, oh. I, I was uh, chatting with an ex colleague recently and in in a previous life I was a, a product marketing manager for a knowledge management uh, uh, solution and within that scenario um, you know people were basically ranked based upon how well the content they provided solved problems and mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting it, in your book you talk about uh, this whole notion of quantifying influence, and I, I find it really fascinating because when you look at what's happening now in the in the whole uh, social collaboration space, you're seeing companies like uh, you know like uh, uh, Mindjet and, and Yammer and, and, and Asano and others, and they're building these collaborative environments um, that are very uh, social. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're also, you know, quite frankly, attempting to build on that whole model of influence. So I, I think the the book you wrote is, is is very timely in that in in that regard.
0: Well, I think there are a lot of applications in the corporate world. I mean, we, we, we're really not seeing that yet. I mean, it, this is just it, it's in the silent movie stages, and that's what makes it so exciting. Is you know, I well. Let me take a step back. My mind is just—you you, had—you had so many good things there. <laughs> you've got—you've got my mind spinning in all these directions.
2: Well, you, you know what? It's—it's it's actually a good time to take a, a short break. Let's, oh, let's, okay. let's let's do an advertiser, and when we come back, let's let's take it a step back, and uh, and we'll we'll do a do-over. <laughs> okay. This is uh, one of our sponsors, Delivera. They're fantastic. Uh, email marketing company, Uh, they take care of their clients, Uh, we love working with them, so here they go.
1: Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies. Delibera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866 915 9465. Tell them you heard about Delivera from
2: the Marketing Technology Blog. So we're here with Mark Schaefer on the line. Uh, Mark Schaefer's new book is The Return on Influence. And uh, Mark, you were just getting into you were going to take it back a step. Go ahead
0: well you know I, I i wanted to respond to that last question about you know applying this uh idea uh maybe in the corporate environment uh, you mentioned yammer and some of these other uh providers but you know when i when i started uh when i had the idea for a book the book um i i went to mcgraw hill the publisher and i i put together this outline and i said you know I don't know how this book is going to turn out. I really don't know what this book is going to be about because it's never been written before. It's entirely new. There are no experts. There are no resources. I had to create my own path, my own guide, and they were very kind, and they said, all right, go for it. And as it turned out, 80%... Of the book is different than the original outline. It's it's almost completely different from the way I thought it was going to be because I told them I was I was going to let the research and the discussions the inter I interviewed over seventy people for this book. I did lots of academic research for this book, and I wanted to I, I wanted to figure out for myself what's going on here. You know, is Clout onto something? You know, or is this a bunch of fluff? and what are the implications for us as individuals and as as companies and the more i learned about it i mean just it was so absolutely fascinating what's going on in this field and the and the and the rapid changes the rapid progress the creative ways that some of these technologies are being used and i think one of the things that's so exciting to me and and, and interesting is this idea of in so many fields today success is determined by your ability to move content and get people to react to it so if you are in marketing if you are in pr obviously uh but it but today how much of your uh your career if you're in sales is is determined by how well you can get your content, whatever that might be. It could be a sales pitch. could be a PowerPoint presentation. But you're trying to get that content to go viral in a community. It might be in community purchasing managers. In HR, you're trying to – I mean, now the Internet, LinkedIn, some of these platforms have revolutionized HR. And so now couldn't you use some of these measures – of how are you using your content to ignite that audience, to attract uh, bright college students, college graduates, to come work for your company or to recruit uh, executives. So this idea of moving content and getting people to react to it in some way, uploading, downloading, connecting, buying, going to a class, being hired by your company. uh, That is becoming increasingly important in lots of different companies and lots of different careers. So why wouldn't you be able to measure success in some way, not every way, but it's an indicator. Something like a cloud score could be an indicator of your ability to engage with people successfully on the social web and that's
2: important in a lot of careers. It absolutely is. Is is some of the issue or is is some of the hesitation there that we live in a, you know, society that that everything has to be short-term gains, you know, that if you're a marketer, you know, you've got to prove yourself, you know, within 30 days, within, you know, the next campaign, within the next thing and and part of part of the entire influence model is this is something that you have to invest in you know, uh, substantially for years, possibly.
0: Right. Right. And that, that is a real myth, I think, on the social web, that uh, companies don't get all excited and they want to have immediate results from their Facebook page or their YouTube channel or their Twitter account. And that's impossible. I mean, it's not impossible. Let's say, I mean, I have had customers who get lucky and maybe you just kind of... Right, gold right off, right off the bat, but I mean it is it it, it does take time. It's like building. It, there's no difference really in building the business and building your influence in the online world or the offline world. If you know when I started my company, I would go to industry meetings, I would go to uh, chamber of commerce meetings, and you've got to go four, five six times, six months, seven months before people start to recognize you and get to know you and get to like you and trust you enough to say, hey, let's go have coffee and figure out ways we can do business together. Well, that's what the online world is about too. It's like networking on steroids. But it still takes time. You've got to immerse yourself. You've got to be present. You've got to be patient. You've got to build trust. You've got to create content that's going to attract people's attention. So uh so it does take time. It does take time uh to build those connections. It does take time to build influence.
2: And and what do uh what do you say to the introverts? What do you say to the companies who they're just not outgoing like that. They're just not social animals, it's just not part of their culture
0: well you know that that's really interesting and i I have a background in in psychology and organizational development, so I think a lot about those things and I have my own theory that there are certain personality types that might be more successful in this space than others and I think it you know I, i'm I'm judging from your comment that maybe you would agree that maybe outgoing types might be successful and when i uh when I bring that up, introverted people get really defensive and they say, wait a minute, we love the social web because you know we don't have to be out there and be extroverted. We can communicate and connect uh, in our way, uh, in, in, in our terms. And in fact, the social web is perfect for introverted people. So, I mean, I think that's an interesting perspective, and I think it's a very valid perspective. But I think there there are certainly people who get it and other people that don't get it. And when I teach my classes and I start interacting with people, I can usually tell in the first five minutes if this is the type of person that is going to really love this, embrace it, and go for it, or someone that's kind of got their their heels dug in and saying, I'm here because my boss sent me. and um, But there are other alternatives. I mean, I think one of the keys to success in this field, as you know, is developing great content. A lot of that can be outsourced. I mean, you've got to create some pretty great stuff to get people's attention, and not everybody can do that. That's a gift. So, you know, outsourcing content is one uh know, really uh, viable strategy that's used by a lot of companies if you don't have those skills. Mark, this is uh, Harry Howe. Just a moment ago, you were kind of looking at students and sizing them up and telling very quickly whether uh, they would be supportive or or digging in their heels. What? Tell us a little more about that. What are some of the signals that uh, students would send that would suggest that they would, uh, you know, that they got it and that they would, uh, you know, just uh, go for this? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure I can really put my finger on it. I, I I'm I'm reminded of of Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink, where he he says that once people do engage in a certain activity over and over and over again for so long, you almost develop uh, a sixth sense about things. And, you know, I've taught so many classes and thousands of students uh, over the last few years uh, at every level from, I mean, I've been a guest lecturer for homeschooled high school students uh, to uh, next, uh, in next month I'm giving a lecture at Oxford University and everything in between. And so uh, you just, I don't know, if it's the questions that they ask, uh, maybe it's their level of enthusiasm. You know, I'm not sure, but I can almost predict these are the students I'm going to keep hearing from. You know, these are the students who clearly, you know, through their enthusiasm, through their participation in class, they are going to stay in touch with me. I'm going to be hearing case studies from them. The other people I probably will never hear from again, and and this whole class was largely a waste of time for them. (laughs) But I mean, I I care about everybody, and I, I authentically want to help uh anybody who's willing to do the work and and uh and and embrace the ideas and the and the change that's necessary to be successful cuz uh you know I see it in people I see it in companies too
2: well uh, there's there's such a huge opportunity for young people especially in college to start hitting the ground running right there you know the the first thing i do you know when we're looking for new talent or you know we're going to interview someone is I go straight to LinkedIn, and I go straight to Facebook, and I go straight to Twitter and yeah. search about, you know, what they're talking about and what interests them. And I'm always surprised, you know, I, uh, I just recently um, a friend of mine was laid off, young kid, straight out of school. He was just uh-huh. laid off. And yeah. so he said, I'll send you my resume. And I was like, Nah, don't bother. I was like, <laughs> "I was, like, I was like, send me your LinkedIn. And he said, "What's what's that? So I sat oh, there i sat forty five minutes with them and walked through yeah. LinkedIn and showed them why they're why it's so valuable you know um
0: well, I talk about that all the time i mean I, I i i do guest lecturing at universities all across the country and I, I really enjoy that um uh because this is our future, and I'm so disappointed by two things first that in general, the level of social media education that's taking place at the university, at our universities is pathetic. Yes. And, and in universities, they all see this is important. This is red hot. We've got to do something. And they look around and they say, well, uh, who do we get to teach this? Oh, professor Jones, you've been here 30 years. You do it. And it's, it just doesn't work that way. Now, I am very, very fortunate where I teach at Rutgers University, and what they're doing is they're bringing in experts from everywhere in the country and Canada to teach these special classes uh, from people who are immersed in this stuff, who have been doing this stuff for years. And, and you know, you cannot, you cannot teach people about blogging unless you do it. You can't. You can't teach people about Twitter unless you're you're doing it and you're experienced in it, or YouTube, or any of these. So that's the first big disappointment I have. Then the second disappointment I have is, you know, I'll go into some of these classes, and there will be seniors or even graduate students, and, of course, they're all on Facebook. And then I'll say, how many people are on LinkedIn? You know, maybe 10%. How many people blog? Almost none. How many people are on Twitter? You know, Low percentage, but that's starting to increase. And I I said, you know, forget about just getting the skills that you're going to need for almost any entry-level job in sales, marketing, or PR today. Just finding the people uh, and getting that interview you're going to need this stuff. As you said, your social footprint today is more important than your resume.
3: Absolutely you also think to some extent mark that you know participating you know in in the social community at large whether through blog or Facebook or, or anything else is also a good way to kind of establish your social voice if you will um, and and thinking that you know to some extent that's the foundation of you know what you're going, you're going to be when you grow up yeah that's
0: a beautiful thats a, that's a beautiful point because it's you know, it took me, you know, a year of steady blogging before I really found my my legs. You know, before I found my uh, my voice and, and and my audience. And um, you know, uh, and same on Twitter. There's a certain there's a certain rhythm. There's a certain culture to Twitter, that and Facebook's the same way. LinkedIn's the same way. That you, you know, you've, you've got to do it for a while before um, you can be competent. And you can't read a book on it. You can't read a blog post about it. You've got to do it. There's no shortcut. And students are remiss uh, if they don't start immersing themselves in it now, because these are the skills they're going to need for any entry level job uh, today. And uh, so I encourage that, you know, to any, any chance I get, a talk, uh, I get to talk to students, I encourage that. And blogging, especially because I tell students, let's say you're up for a job interview, and you have a blog, and the other person doesn't. The last thing you tell that interview is, "I really enjoyed my time today. It was just so short. I don't feel like I've really been able to show you everything I can do, but don't believe, don't just believe what I had to say. Click with the link that's here on my resume and read my blog. And you know what? They will. And you've just established 30 or 40 minutes more with that interviewer than the other person. And that person has an opportunity to see what you can do, what you're thinking, how you think. How you can write, how you can communicate—that's important in in any of these jobs, and that can be a competitive advantage. So you've got to do it. It's
2: a fantastic tip, and it's not just for young people. It's for people that maybe have been been stuck in corporate America the last you know ten years, and uh, and are just finding you know finding themselves looking for a new job or a new outlet. Um, I you know I push everybody to invest in it, and and I tell them it truly is. An investment, you know, it's it's something that you have to keep depositing into. It's you have to keep spending the time, um, and it's pennies. It's not dollars, and it's not you know thousands of dollars. But eventually, you know, you have that account, and you get to go cash out of it.
3: Yeah, and I, I also think that you know, if you let's say you you put up a a post on your site, Mark, and and let's say you get eleven comments. Uh Um, You know, you and I have been swapping thoughts for, I'm guessing, probably about two years or so. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, what fascinates me is that often, you know, a a blog post uh, can elicit great commentary, and we often get so much more out of the commentary than we do out of the post itself. Uh, That's one of the beautiful things about what you provide is you get – you know, you get the community actually talking and exchanging ideas.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really been uh, just almost an overwhelming uh, development on my blog, and a benefit of my blog is that I and I, you know, I guess I'm just a, a conversation starter. I mean, a lot of the times, I don't have the answers, and I don't pretend to have the answers, but I'll just I'll write a blog post that's more like just wondering out loud. You know, I observe this. I observe this. I observe this. Where is this heading? Is it this is scary to me, or this is exciting to me, or this is depressing to me? What do you guys think? And without exception, the the comment section is better than the blog. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean,
0: I, it, true. I, it, it, it's it's amazing to me the The just extraordinary people who are willing to spend their time to write these these wonderful comments on my on my blog, and uh, I go to school every day with these people, just learning together and you know uh, I think it's also important to be humble as a blogger to realize you know you don't have all the answers the answers are out there in your audience, and just be humble enough to accept that and to encourage that um you know, I'm a student, too. I, you know, I, I'm, no, I'm no expert.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm learning all the time.
2: Well, it's hard to be an expert when the industry is changing on a dime every single week. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just, when someone starts telling me the rules of social media or they tell me how to use a specific platform or application, mm-hmm. I look yeah. at them and I just tell them they're full of it. You know, don't, if it works yeah. for me, don't tell me I'm doing it wrong.
0: Well, that's very true, and I think that we're in a very special time because, and and, and most people disagree with me on this, but I still think I'm right. And that is that a lot of people say, well, over time, this notion of social media marketing is just going to roll into traditional marketing jobs. It's just going to be part of everybody's job and it's just what we're going to need and and how we're going to work and we're not going to need social media specialists because it's just going to be part of everybody's job we don't have uh, typing specialists Uh, we don't have telephone specialists Uh, you know we don't have uh, whatever and so this is the way it's always been and this is the way it always will be when we get some new technology or some new channel, it becomes absorbed. I think that is wrong. And this is why. When was the last time we had an, we had an innovation in television that significantly changed the way we market? We had cable in the 70s. And then what? Maybe Pivo. Okay. Now we're starting to get into Internet TV, and that might change some things. But let's say we've had three significant changes in the last 40 or 50 years. In the print industry, magazines and newspapers, when was the last significant shift that changed the way we approached marketing? The Gutenberg Press is the answer to that question. Now, not only are the social media platforms – changing every day. The rules of engagement are changing every day. Twitter is radically different than it was two years ago. Facebook is completely unrecognizable from what it was two years ago. And let's not forget, four years ago, it wasn't even available to the public. (laughs) Okay, so this is going to be a specialized skill because there is no way everybody can keep up with everything that's going on in the social space. It's economically and it's psychologically impossible and it's economically inefficient. So I think the model that will evolve is that you'll get – specialists. You'll get either individuals or firms or boutique agencies or competencies within a larger advertising agency. I think that's the way we're starting to see this develop, develop, where where this is not going to be a broadly integrated skill. It is going to be a specialty, and it's going to remain a specialty. And, And again, 95% of the marketers that you talk to will disagree with me because they say, oh, well, that's not the way it's been in the past. I see things differently, and and I think this is something very – and I feel almost uncomfortable (coughs) saying it because it is against history, but I think we're in a time that's unprecedented in history, (laughs) and and I think this is going to become a specialized skill.
2: It continues to accelerate too. That's the important message there. It's not right. slowing down. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not all of a sudden falling ourse- You know, finding ourselves falling into a habit every single month. It's every single month. There's new discoveries and new patterns and new responses and new adoption. Mm-hmm. I saw an article that China added more people to the internet in the last year than the United States – than is the entire population of the United States. <laughs> you know, if you don't yeah. think that's going to change the patterns of, you know, yeah. international commerce and, and everything else, you, you, you're crazy.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think basically China is the answer to almost every question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Mark, I'm going to do one more break, and then uh, and then before we go – I want you to talk more about the book, your next speaking opportunities, where people can find you, follow you online, all of that good stuff. This, uh, this message is from our folks at, at Zoomerang. I, I, we need a new ad. It's Zoomerang slash SurveyMonkey, I should say. SurveyMonkey bought out Zoomerang, and I think they're starting to transition people over to the to the SurveyMonkey platform. They're an incredible company, fun to work with. Uh, We've had an incredible time with them, so here we go.
1: Have you ever wanted to survey your customers or employees but thought it was just going to take too much time or cost too much? Well, it doesn't have to. With Zoomerang Online Surveys and Polls, you can sign up for free and send an unlimited number of surveys and polls. It takes just minutes to create and send a professional-looking survey. Zoomerang makes it easy to get started with a newly updated user interface and over 100 professional templates you can customize. It's easy, fast, and best of all free. The data you get from surveys can be invaluable to help you make better business decisions and plan for the future. Get started today by signing up for a free account at Zoomerang.com.
2: Mark, first of all, thank you so much for spending time with us on a Friday afternoon like this. Uh, You should be out in the sunshine, not talking to uh, these geeks on the other end of the line. Uh, Well, that's
0: where I'm I'm heading as soon as we're done here.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, The book, again, is Return on Influence, and you can go to returnoninfluence.com. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, and 800-CEO-READ. So you can get it any which way. Get it for your Kindle. Get whatever you, however you read books anymore.
3: And, and Mark, uh, tell us about uh, Social Slam.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, you know, this is something I'm very, very proud of. And um, it's a national social media conference we have each April here in Knoxville, Tennessee. This year it's April 27th. And the two things that distinguish Social Slam from any other conference that you will go to is, first of all, the price. Uh, And, you know, I go to all these conferences and the tickets are $500 or $600 or $1,000. And a lot of young people or people interested in job transition say, I'd love to hear you. I can't afford that ticket. The tickets for Social Slam are $89. You get a full day. You get breakfast. You get lunch. You get an after party. You get a bag full of stuff. And you get Amazing speakers like Mitch Joel is going to be our keynote speaker, Ginny Dietrich, Tom Webster, Jay Baer is going to be there. Uh, I'm going to give a speech. We've got panel discussions, breakouts, networking. It's going to be amazing. So it's inexpensive. It's very accessible. We've got a $99 hotel deal right across from the convention center, an outstanding event. And then the other thing that we try to do is feature new voices. Uh, You know, it's not the same old content. It's not the same ten people that you see at every social media conference. We're going to have people there talking about uh, uh, how a a doctor, a pediatrician, how she's using social media to reach out, connect, and heal her community. We're going to have an ex-pastor there talking about the spirituality of social media, and then of course. We're going to have a lot of exciting new ideas, best practices, and uh, and networking. So, April twenty seventh. It's uh, it's uh, social slam. www.so slam. dot com, and uh, tickets are about half sold out already. We did sell out last year, three weeks before the event. So, if you are interested in going, I would absolutely get your tickets.
2: And hey, that's driving distance. We'll go.
0: Yeah, I'd love to have you there. Come on down. It'll be a great – it's a homecoming. <laughs> because the it, 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 It's an event entirely created by volunteers. Even the speakers are volunteering their time. I mean, Mitch Joel charges $10,000 a pop for a speech. He is volunteering his time because he believes in what we're doing. This is a conference for everybody.
2: Well, I, I charge $15,000. i would be happy to speak there for free. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: you go, and 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 it's and it would be a bargain at twice that price.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, we we know that uh, we know that Jay likes uh, tequila and mezcal. Uh, what what should we bring you?
0: <clears throat> you know, uh, let's see. You're in Indiana. I think. Uh, how about some of those? Uh, what are those? Was, was it Zappos potato chips? Not Zappos. What's the potato chips you have up there?
2: Oh, what are the just. Like the jalapeno ones and everything. Uh, what are they called?
0: Yeah, what's that special? What's that special brand you've got in Indiana? Those those potato chips that everybody like, that everybody likes. Oh God!
2: I know about uh, they sell them at Jimmy John's and everything.
0: Yeah,
2: I I can't remember the name of it. What's your things, flavor? Oh
0: my gosh, barbecue.
2: Barbecue. Okay. You-
0: all the way. All the oh. way.
3: Done.
0: Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be speaking at Blog World in New York this year. I, I, I have a pretty active. Uh, uh, Schedule uh, on my on my website, businessesgrow.com. My speaking schedule scheduled on there. I'm going to be in Nashville. I'll be in Minneapolis. I'm going to be – I spent quite a bit of time in uh, New York. Different things. I'm going to be going down to Houston, New Orleans pretty soon. So lots of different things going on. And I'll also mention that I have this other book that I wrote last year, The Tao of Twitter. It's T-A-O. It looks like Tao of Twitter, but – the official pronunciation is Dow, but you can call it anything you want. And that That's little book you buy it. sen- it's been a sensation. And uh, you know, it's a little book. You can read it in ninety minutes, but if you're struggling with Twitter, this is the way this is the way to go.
2: Fantastic. Well Mark and everybody can find you at Mark Schaefer, uh at Mark Schaefer on Twitter. And of course
0: Mark it's 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 Mark W. Schaefer. Mark W. And Schaefer. Sh- and Schaefer is the name nobody can spell. It's S C H A E F E R. Uh Mark W. Schaefer, Twitter, and, and Businessesgrow.com. If you can if you can track me down there, you can connect with me and everywhere
2: there. Businessesgrow dot com. We'll uh we'll put that on out on the site as well. Mark, I can't thank you enough for, for your time, sir.
0: Truly my pleasure. It's been an honor talking to you guys today and and thanks for the great interview.
2: You bet. Have a great day, Mark. Thanks.
1: Thanks. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.